Hey, I'm Greg Johnson. I'm the lead pastor here at Restoration Church Wood Forest. We want to welcome you to our podcast today. Our mission at Restoration is to empower people to become world changers by releasing them into their full potential in the kingdom of God. So that happens in a lot of ways, but on Sunday mornings, we gather together, we worship passionately, and then we open the word of God and we explore the application and the truth of how God's word can be applied to our lives. And so today, I hope that you enjoy this message from God's word. Hey, we don't want this in any way to be a replacement for church. Let it be a supplement for you. But if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us any week at 8 o'clock, 945, and 1130. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Restoration. All right, Galatians chapter 5, let's jump right in. Uh, we're going to finish the chapter today. Uh, we're going to pick up where Gavin left off last week. And I want to make sure that we understand uh, one of the major themes of the passage that he was walking through this last week, uh, legalism. So uh, is everybody familiar with that term, legalism? Uh, Because it's going to help us understand as we're walking through the passage today, um, legalism is a strict adherence to the law regardless of faith. So you don't need faith to be legalistic. So it is this strict adherence to the law um, and It's using that adherence to the law as a sense of righteousness. So uh, when you think about legalism, think about, hey, I follow the law, the letter of the law. I'm a rule follower. I make sure that, that, that I get it done. I don't do the don'ts and I do do the do's. <laughs> that sounds like a song. I do, 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 do. Um, uh, I, and so I, I'm adhering to everything. I'm not doing what I shouldn't do. I'm doing what I should do. But The, the downside of legalism is I'm using that as my sense of righteousness, which is self-righteousness. So if you err on the side of legalism, I'm, I'm a recovering legalist. Uh, I've been on both sides. I've been extremely legalistic and I've been extremely on the side of grace. And, and now I'm somewhere in the middle. But man, legalism, man, those old habits die hard, don't they? When I'm living it and then I look at other people that aren't living it the way I'm living it, I begin to judge them. And I begin to think, man, if they would just do it the way I'm doing it, everything would work out better, right? How arrogant is that, by the way? And yet, that is one of the monikers of the church, right, at large, that, that we live in this way that we look at the world around us and we think, man, if they could just be more like me, more like us, the world would be a better place. Ugh. self-righteousness at its finest. But this is important today because the, pas- because the passage is going to outline two ways of thinking, two schools of thought, or two roads to walk. Jesus talks about two roads in Matthew chapter 7, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verses 13 and 14, he, he says, hey, listen, there are these two roads. Um, they're, they're, we, we enter through the narrow gate, For wide is the gate and broad is the road, broad, big, that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. Okay, so is that unnerving to anybody? Because here's the truth of the matter. By percentage, there are more people in the room today on the broad path than the narrow path. Is that fair to say? So the question becomes, which road are you on? Which road do you think the person next to you is on? Just turn and tell them. Uh, I'm joking, kind of. <laughs> but, uh, but at the end of the day, <laughs> some of you are like, is he serious? <laughs> you, broad path. Yeah. Yeah, so, so here's the truth of the matter. Man, that is, uh, Jesus is like, hey, listen, by percentage, And I would say at restoration, by percentage, a higher percentage than we're really comfortable with are on a broad path and don't even know it. So here's how I know that. Just a few verses later, Jesus says, hey, listen, on that day, he's talking about judgment. He goes, many are going to say to me, hey, don't you remember I went on a mission trip? 
Don't you remember? I cast out demons. I prophesied in your name. I did all the good stuff, Jesus. And he will go, um, sorry, I don't know who you are. Does that freak anybody else out besides me? Then he's like, hey, you know what? The worst place that you could be in life is to think you're on one road, but to actually be on another. And there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of self-deception. There's a lot of entanglement of this cord. <laughs> Gotta fix myself or the camera. Um, okay. So what are the two roads? What are the two roads? Paul's gonna lay out two ideas today, walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. And these are two opposing forces in the life of every believer. In the life of every believer, so if you identify, this is popular in our culture today, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, would you raise your hand? I just kinda wanna know who's in the room. Okay, most of you in the room identify as a follower of Jesus. So know that because you said yes to Jesus, that the spirit and the flesh will be at war for the rest of your existence this side of heaven. Welcome to restoration, right? I mean, that's, that's good news. And so as we think about these opposing ideas of spirit and flesh, I want you to think contextually about the way of Jesus versus the way of the Judaizers. So Jesus has come to this region. He's planted a bunch of churches in this region called Galatia. And he leaves. And these Jewish believers come behind him and say, hey, Paul was right, kind of, but he left some stuff out. He left out that you have to follow the law of Moses. He left out that you must be circumcised. Gavin talked about that last week, that there were these outer signs that pointed to salvation. What they were saying in effect is, hey, become more like us, become nationalistic, become Jewish, because Jesus was Jewish, become more like us. And Paul's like, mm-mm, no, it is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. It is by grace that you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of your works, lest any man should boast. So he's been talking about this since the beginning. It's the whole idea behind the book that he's challenging them to wake up and move back in to living the way of Jesus. Last week, Galatians 5, 6, he says this. He says, hey, listen, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has what? Any value. He's like, circumcision is worthless. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Love. It's like how you love matters way more than what you have done to yourself. It's the difference between an external force driving you and an internal force transforming you. And so these two roads look similar, but they are leading to completely different places. So let's jump into the passage and we're gonna see this contrast in Galatians chapter five, starting with verse 13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So he starts by repeating chapter five, verse one. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So why did Christ set us free? For freedom. Say it out loud. Freedom. Say it again. Freedom. Say it like William Wallace. Freedom, yeah. He set us free for freedom's sake. That's it. He didn't set you free to put your mad skills on display. That is not the point. He set you free so you could be free. Now think about it. He, this is gonna play to a culture that was living under a lot of oppression, living under religious oppression, living, living under governmental oppression. He's like, hey, listen, you've been set free. Live in it. Live as free people. In fact, Jesus, Luke chapter four, as his ministry is inaugurated, verse 18, it says that he walks into the synagogue, he grabs a scroll, he opens it up to Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim what? Freedom 
for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed, what? Free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The mission of Jesus was the mission of freedom. He came to set people free. He came to set you free. The challenge becomes, what does that freedom look like? What does it mean to live as free people in the kingdom of God? Well, Paul gives us an idea. But first, there's a common idea in the church that freedom looks like praying a prayer to secure heaven when you die and then doing whatever you want until he comes back or until you die, right? That's a simplification, but at the end of the day, we pray a prayer to keep us out of hell and then we just try to manage our sin. We just try to do a little bit better. And, and when we do that, we are practicing legalism. We are practicing the law. We're saying yes to Jesus for salvation to keep us from the bad place, but then we're just kind of managing our sin, hoping that the scales of justice weigh out when we get to heaven. It's not the way that life was made to be lived. It's not freedom at all. In fact, that's what we just sang about. It's a freedom here It's a freedom to no longer be held captive by the lies of the enemy. It's the freedom to no longer be held in shame and fear and guilt by my past, but freedom to move forward by faith in who Jesus has created me to be. That's a different way to live, y'all. Some of you know that because you know you. You know the thoughts that you have. You know how captive you feel held. For some of you, you love the idea of doing ministry, of making a difference, but you also feel like you've been disqualified because of something dumb you've done or because of something habitual you continue to do. And Jesus says, the minute you're ready to go, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm not the one holding you captive. So today, let's expose the lies of the enemy. Let's expose the fact that he's trying to hold you in check when Jesus has already set you free. It's go time. So, but he's clear. He says, don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but to humbly serve one another in love. So first he says, don't use your freedom to indulge your flesh. What does he mean by that? The whole idea of hey, I've trusted Jesus for heaven when I die and then I can do whatever I want. And that's really common in the church today, by the way. I sent a lot of counseling appointments and someone literally said to me one day, well, it doesn't matter what I do because God's already forgiven me. He's already forgiven me for the thing I'm about to do. I'm like, ooh, I need to take a step back. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, what a jacked up view of the spiritual life is that? That's taking grace to its extreme. It's saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do. You weren't saved because of your works. You don't lose your salvation because of something you do. But know this, if you're living in habitual sin over time, I would go back and question what you did in the first place. It may have been that you gave yourself to someone other than Jesus. So he says, it's not about indulging in the flesh, but to humbly serve one another in love. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, this new freedom is not about you. It's not about you. Say, not about me. Say it again, not about me. The gospel is not about you. It's not about you individually. It's about us corporately. John 3, 16, for God so loved, for God so loved, and pastors may stand on stages and say, for God so loved, insert your name here. No, it's not the point. We have developed such a myopic view of the gospel that we've made it all about us. Again, I've said this a lot, but you may be new. I want you to hear it. The whole phrase, if you were the only person in the world, Jesus still would have died for you, that's a great sentiment. It's also the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Apart from a zombie apocalypse, when have you ever been or will you be the only person in the world? It doesn't even make sense. Because at the end of the day, it's never been the point. 
The point is not about you. He, God is for you, but he's not about you. God is about God, and he's inviting you into what he's doing in the world. And salvation is you joining him in his plan, not him joining you in yours. It's a different way to view the world. You are set free from self-motivation. Remember Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. Now it's no longer my agenda, but the agenda of Jesus living out in me. So freedom in Christ is not a license to sin, but freedom to no longer desire to sin. It doesn't mean that you no longer sin. It just means it no longer has a hold in your life. You no longer desire it. And, and when you do uh, slip up, when you do step into something, you come to a place where you say, that is not who I want to be. The Holy Spirit in you says, hey, that's not who we're, who we're going for here. Let's turn the corner. And we do a thing called repentance, which is thinking in a new way and turning and going in the opposite direction. It's a new way to think, a new way to live. And... It's a freedom to serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. What does it look like to serve one another in love? Well, I think to know how to serve one another in love, we need to know what is a good definition for love. Paul gives us a really long definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Starting verse four through the beginning of verse eight, he gives us kind of this idea. Love is patient, Kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres in the beginning of verse eight, love never fails. Okay, so that's quite a list, right? So if you were to take out a piece of paper right now, write down all of those characteristics and rate yourself on a scale of one to 10, how would you do? If that were the point of this passage, we would all today receive a big giant F and just go about our day, right? Because none of us show those characteristics of love all the time. In fact, all of us miss the mark of sharing those characteristics of love most of the time. I'll just speak for myself. I read a lot of those, and if the point of that passage was for me to grade myself, I would fail every day. I may get closer to a passing grade on some days, but if the point is for me to try to be more loving, more kind, more patient, trying to be uh, uh, less self-seeking, man, just pick a day. Anybody else like that? Or are y'all a little better off than I am? Yeah, I mean, it's just, are you saying amen because you think you're better? Got my eye on you, Wes. <laughs> Here's the truth of the matter. To serve one another in love. Love is the greatest force on the planet. But let me, let me just give you a collective deep breath. You can never love that way. You were never meant to. It's Jesus loving that way through you. So give yourself a break. So here's the deal. If you can't love that way, which you can't, this is an invitation from Jesus into the secret place for him to begin to develop that kind of love in you. The secret place is the laboratory for love. It's the place where we learn how to love people the way they need to be loved. So Paul's saying here that freedom in Christ is not self-indulgence, but selfless love in action. And now he's gonna double down on it, verse 14, it says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That is bold. He says, every single law is fulfilled on this one command. And what's the one command? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. He's quoting there uh, Leviticus 19, 18. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. Remember Jesus, he quoted that to the, to the expert in the law. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and street. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So Jesus saw it as the greatest commandment. And, and it says here very clearly, he says, every law is fulfilled in this one thing. Does that make sense to you? All the do's and don'ts. 
come down to this. How are you loving other people? How are you loving other people? So he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what does that mean exactly? Well, let me just let you in on something about you. At the end of the day, you love you some you. You do. You love you. I love me. I love me some me. And left to my own devices, I am going to draw a circle around me and insulate myself in things that benefit me. And in my worst moments, when, when I was really, really broken and I was a class A manipulator, I would make sure that everything worked out in my favor. So I was always for me at all costs. And maybe you can relate to that. But even if you can't relate to it, that is your default. Your default is you. Your default is self-preservation. It's just who we are. It is a matter of the flesh. And so y'all are familiar with gravity, right? So it's keeping you in your seat right now while we're spinning around like this. Yeah, your spiritual gravitational pull is not toward Jesus. It's toward self. That's just who we are naturally as people. And so why does he say loving your neighbor as you love yourself? Because he assumes you love yourself a lot. We don't have a generosity problem in this room. You're all the most generous people on the planet. Unfortunately, you're generous to yourself. That's just the truth of the matter. We are most generous to us. And so he's saying, listen, this other-centered life, it fulfills all the laws because you're not thinking about you. It's not you trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. It's serving others from a place of love. And it's counterintuitive, right? He's saying at the end of the day, it's not how you look. It's how you love. Verse 15 says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So what is the enemy's plan for the church? Does everybody kind of get an idea of what evil looks like? I mean, it doesn't take a lot for us to, if, evil, if you're faced with evil, you know it. And so what does the enemy do? He comes in and he uses somebody you're close to to create division from within. And that's what he's talking about here. The enemy's plan is to destroy the church from within. This is what was happening in the Galatian churches. You had the faction that was following Jesus. You had the Judaizers who were trying to create envy and strife and discord. And so you had these two opposing forces going at each other. And, and the goal was to tear the church apart before it ever got started. And the truth of the matter is this. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. It's why denominations exist, right? It's why church splits happen. The biggest threat to the church is not what's going on out there. The biggest threat to the church is what's going on in here. So one of the reasons we pray for a different church every week is because we want to send the message that we are focusing on commonalities versus differences. In a world who wants to focus on differences, who wants to dog everybody, you know, they hate us because they ain't us, right? I mean, uh, we, we want to get in this place where, man, we've got it on lockdown, and if all those other churches would be more like us, we'd be a lot better off. That's called arrogant legalism. When in reality, man, we're praying for every other church in this area and we pray because we want them to be successful, but we're always wanting to send the message that as a body, we're always looking out and how we can partner and support because when the kingdom wins, we all win. And so I want you to know this, if revival breaks out at Fellowship of Montgomery this morning, that's where I'm going to be next week. 
I encourage you to join me. I don't know who's going to preach here, but I won't be here because I want to go where the action is and I want to celebrate what's going on there. I don't want to sit in my office and try to figure out, well, man, it seems like there's a move of God over there. I wonder how we can manufacture the same thing. I need to go over there and figure out what they did to, to see God move so that we can emulate it in some way. No, we want to pray that they win. So here's the thing. If you got church hurt, if you've showed up here this morning because a church in the area hurt you and you're still managing that, man, I love you. I want to pray with you over it. But know this, the number one thing that I am going to ask you to do is seek reconciliation and restoration in your relationship with that church. I'm not saying you need to go back. I'm saying you got to get over your hurt and be healed from it because it will harm the kingdom of God. And we don't need to be dogging other churches in the area. We pray for them. We support them. Some of my best friends are pastors of churches in this area. They pray for me. I pray for them. We collectively as a church want to send the message that when the kingdom wins, we all win. Now, having said that, there's a reason we all do church differently, right? We have trees and doctrines that we're going to stand on. That's great. But there are plenty of commonalities that we can focus on and not get into fights over our differences. Okay, so Paul's going to get really practical in describing how to walk in the way of Jesus, all right? So now he's going to press in to some real practical stuff. So, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, so there's a lot to say. So first he says, walk in the spirit. What does that mean, to walk in the spirit? Walk in step with the spirit or walk in the way of the Spirit. And so he's just been talking about how to walk in freedom. Uh, he's talked about walking in love. And now he's saying how? True freedom is in submission to the Holy Spirit. True freedom. If you want to find freedom, it is in submission to the Holy Spirit. So maybe you grew up in a culture that was Father, Son, and Holy Bible, and you're like, man, the Holy Spirit kind of freaks me out. It's kind of like, you know, the drunk uncle of the Trinity. And so, um, man, I just want to free you up. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, listen, I have to go away so the Spirit can come. Jesus said it was good. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, he is good. He is safe. He's going to guide you into all the truth. He's going to remind you of everything that I've said. He's going to convict you. He's going to guide you. He's going to prod you. He is going to help you live the life you were meant to live. And so he says, hey, walk in the Spirit. So remember this. When you said yes to Jesus, you received the Spirit of Jesus on the inside of you. Everybody realizes that, right? That the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It's also the Spirit of Jesus. Like it's all kind of wrapped together. And so now Jesus in you is the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter three, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus says, hey, what do I gotta do here? He says, hey, you must be born again. So this whole idea of being born again, it's, it's what he talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says you are a new creation. So think about a baby that around one year old starts to take their first steps. What does that look like? Yeah, you need a helmet on them and so, you know, some knee pads and because they're awkward, right? They're like a baby doe that's getting up for the first time and they take that step and you're like, oh, you know, trying to make sure that that baby doesn't hurt himself. But um, the best thing that can happen is to let him fall a little bit and they just kind of laugh and they get back up. Because why? Because they want to walk. They want to walk. They want to be independent. They want to begin to move. And this whole idea that he's talking about of walking in the spirit, remember, this is a very young faith at this point. Following the way of Jesus is a new thing. Living by the spirit is a new thing. And he's like, hey, you've got to get, you've got to begin to be led, walk in the spirit. So the question is, how do you learn to walk in the spirit? It's in the secret place. 
It's you sitting every day and saying, Spirit of God, I want to know you. I want to understand you. I want to, I want to feel your nudges. I want, I want to open the word and I want you to illuminate scripture to me so it speaks directly to my heart. I want you to, man, I would challenge you for the next 30 days, sit in the secret place and say, Spirit, I want to be transformed by you. I want to learn how to walk in the Spirit. And then every stray thought that you have, which you think is random thought disorder, is actually probably the Spirit trying to get your attention in an area. You start praying and saying, Spirit, lead me. And immediately you start thinking about the events of your day. And you're like, oh, I'm so distracted. And the Spirit's like, no, I want to talk to you about your day. I'm actually interested in your day. Can we go through your day together? Okay. What do you want me to know about this meeting that I have? Now we're talking. Let's talk about the meeting that you're you start to, to, to pray and ask the Spirit to show himself to you and immediately you're reminded of a conflict that you're in with your spouse. And you're like, oh, so mad. And he says, hey, why don't you go get up and make that right? But you don't know what she did. Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I was there. Go make it right. The invitation to walk in the spirit begins in the secret place. It begins with us identifying how he tends to speak, how he tends to nudge, how he tends to move. I told you a couple of weeks ago about a moment that I had where he gave me this vision of a bowling alley. Remember that? And it was freaky. It didn't make sense to me at first. But as I started writing down the things that I was thinking about, it all came into full focus. So when you begin to have these random thoughts, sit with the journal and begin to write them down and begin to trace the dots of what he might be wanting to say to you. And then we begin to walk. When you do that day after day after day, you begin to see patterns in your life. You begin to see patterns of how he tends to speak to you, about how he tends to move you. And here's what I would say. The next 30 days, here, let's take this challenge together. You spend the next 30 days in the secret place asking the spirit to show you how to walk with him. And at the end of 30 days, if you come back and say, you know what, this doesn't work, we'll just together rip that page out of your Bible and we'll never talk about it again. That's how positive I am that this is, a, for some of you, you're like, well, God doesn't speak to me. I'm like, well, tell me about your time with the Lord. And you're like, I mean, <laughs> swerve, Right? Because at the end of the day, you're unwilling to do the thing that will actually bring life to you. What if we all said, I want to walk in the spirit and I don't want anything to keep me from the life that he has for me. So what does he say here about that? He says, walk in the spirit. Then you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. So again, opposing forces. You know, we do not drift toward holiness. We drift toward our fleshly desires. That's just kind of what we do. And he says, when you're walking in the spirit, you don't tend to gravitate in that way. So when you are intentionally putting yourself in the flow of the Holy Spirit, he curbs your appetite for sin. That should be freeing for the entire room today. If you've been trying to figure out how to overcome your addiction, it's not that you just quit doing it. It's that you come to Jesus when you come to the Holy Spirit and you begin to run toward him. Quit running from your addiction. Run toward Jesus and let him take care of it. He's got your back. He wants to transform you. In fact, he wants you to quit trying to kick it on your own. The law doesn't change your desires. It just advocates for behavior modification. We talked about the reason we don't speed badly. It's not that we don't speed, but we don't speed badly. Why do we not speed badly? Uh, we don't want a ticket. We don't want to get a ticket, and then we don't want a, a warrant to come to the house because we forgot to pay that ticket, and then we get stopped again, and we spend a night in jail because we failed to... I've said too much, but... Uh, I. Man, we're, we're, we're talking about behavior modification. That's all the law does. 
All the law does, remember, I said Matt Chandler said it, it just cages a lion. For some of you, you're just a caged lion because you've never fully connected to what it means to walk in the spirit. So you can't walk with him if you can't discern his leading. Okay, so now we're moving into, he's gonna give us identification of what the result of these two paths look like. So verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, purity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. So he gives us some, some characteristic. He says the acts of the virgin say the deeds of the flesh. And so these are the characteristics of the person that chooses to live in the flesh. And so the first three right off the bat, sex is at the forefront. It was dominant in that culture then. It's dominant in our culture today, fair to say. It's mirrored in our culture. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, just giving yourself over to it. And, and know this, it's rampant inside and outside the church. That unfortunately, the percentage of, of people in this room today that are viewing pornography is really high, both male and female. It's rampant in the church. So anyone who reads the Bible with any common sense can't say that the culture's view of sexual identity is okay. Okay, so homosexuality is very clear. Based on the Bible, homosexuality is a sin, not even in question. Sexual identity, there are two uh, sexual identities, male and female. You, you can't really, you, you got to read the Bible, and by reading the Bible, you cannot really argue that from any place other than trying to reinterpret something that's not there, okay? So that's a given. That's not even in question. So I don't want to spend any time there because it shouldn't really be in question. But here's the staggering problem. Premarital and extramarital sex inside the church is just kind of given a pass in a lot of situations. Among our young people today, premarital sex is just kind of a, a, a common, well, you know it's going to happen, so let's not make too big a deal about it. What? It's not okay. It's not okay. And today it's kind of done, you know, in the whole idea of, well, we got to see if we're sexually compatible. So let me just help you, right? Like, if you got stuff and they've got stuff, I don't know what more compatibility you need. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm really not trying to be crude. I mean, it's just honest. It just kind of works one way. And so I, I don't really understand that whole compatibility argument. But here's the compatibility argument. Well, I don't, I just don't know if it's right for me. I'm like, okay, uh, I got a lot more to say. Just take me out to lunch and I'll fill in the blanks. All right, but, uh, but. But here's the truth of the matter. We look at, at sexuality in the church and inside the church. I'm no longer happy with my spouse, so I hook up with somebody else, but I expect people to understand it. I wasn't having my needs met. What is that? It's selfish. Instead of working on improving my relationship, I just step outside, and then I expect everybody to give me a pass on it. So let me say this to you. This is not shame. I want you to know, man, I've been on the wrong side of both of those things. And so this is not me judging you. What I am saying is it's not okay. There is God's grace. He doesn't want to keep you in a place of shame for something you've done. He actually wants to, live, to deliver you into the freedom that he has for you. He doesn't want to hold your sin against you, but here's what he does want you to do. He wants you to acknowledge that it's sin, that it's not okay. That's where repentance comes into play. Like, he can't forgive you for something 
that you don't want to be forgiven for. And so let me just kind of bring it to the surface today and say, hey, there's a higher standard that we were called to live as followers of Jesus. And, and, and we've got to begin to hold the authority of God's word high and say, hey, listen, I want to get as close to Jesus as I can. And I don't want to change my standard just because the culture says it's cool now. This is not archaic. It is timeless. And he is very clear that when you step outside of it, habitually, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. He said that, not me. So take it up with Paul or Jesus. So he talks about the second category dealing with worship, idolatry, and witchcraft. He's saying, listen, have no other gods before God. And do you think idolatry is dead today? Nope. Alive and rampant. You want to find out what somebody's God is, the idol that they worship? You just keep talking, and when you press on the right one, they'll come to life. They'll defend their God. I promise you. Ask the right questions. They'll start defending their God. And the latter they defend, that's when you know. Well, that's got a stronghold on your life. Um, Next is attitudes toward others, hatred, discord, jealousy, followed by the actions they produce, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. And then finally, he says, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He's, we think that orgies should be up in sexuality, but basically what he's saying is these are addictions. These are when you've just allowed your life to be given over to these things. When you've given your life over to it, where it's no longer, it's no holds barred. That is where the flesh leads. It is the road to destruction when you finally just given yourself over to it. And that is our gravitational pull. Apart from Jesus, we don't drift toward holiness. We drift toward self-gratification. And he's very clear. Hey, if you drift that way, just know that is not the life that God blesses. He says you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Then he gets to verse 22, famous verse. It says, but fruit, singular, fruit, not fruits, ever, Sean, giggling like a seven-year-old boy over there. <laughs> fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. So here's the thing. Why is it singular? Because he lists non-characteristics. Why is it singular? Because it's holistic. It's not when you start following Jesus. These aren't the spiritual gifts that some get some and some get others. That some are loving, but some you're kind of hateful, but you still get to follow Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Some of you are kind. Some of you, I'd like to, you know, throw punch. But... You know, we're all in this together. That's not what he's saying at all. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, holistic, this is the fruit. These are the characteristics. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Life in the Spirit, the, the life that the Spirit produces are all of these. We get all of them. So again, this is not you check the box of which ones you do well and go out and work on the other ones. This is you get in the secret place and say, Spirit, I want everything that you have for me. I know the day I said yes to you, I received all of these characteristics. Right now, I'm feeling really impatient. Why am I feeling impatient? What is it about my issues of control that you need to take a hold of? True confession, first service, I'm out in the lobby, 8 a.m., and I'm kind of mixing for 9.45, just getting it all set. Come in, set the iPad down. At the end of the first song, it gets kind of quiet, and I immediately, I'm like, what are they doing on stage? What are, what are they, next song, what are they doing on stage? I'm, I'm like, this is kind of how I get on Sunday mornings. I'm very like, what is the deal? And somebody back in the booth, I think it might have been Jeffrey, I'm not sure. What, who was it? Uh, 
Thanks, Jack. Jack leans over and goes, hey, are you supposed to be doing baby dedications right now? <laughs> so there's about 30 seconds of silence and me running up here. Hey, y'all, how's it going? Um, let's dedicate those babies. Um, that's called humility. So we get in the secret place with Jesus and we beg him, beg him to allow us to exhibit those characteristics. And know this, day after day, as we spend time in the secret place, guess what? I begin to love like Jesus. I begin to have peace I've never had before. I begin to exude joy. Some of you, you need to exude some joy. Patience, kindness, self-control. What would your life look like? What would it look like in your home if over time you began exhibiting this characteristic? Would your wife go, huh, what's going on with that? You haven't said a kind word to me in six months. What if the goal of the Spirit is to draw you out of you and into Him? It's the life God blesses. And it is a daily process of submitting to His leadership. Okay, verse 24, we're almost done. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If you belong to Jesus again, we talked about Galatians 2.20 a little bit ago. Uh, man, your flesh was crucified. Jesus took all of your sin. He died with it. But know this, it is a daily determination to live into that. It's a daily determination to say, Spirit of God, my flesh has been crucified, but today will you crucify my flesh. Today, you keep me in a place where you're all that matters. You begin to see the world through the, through the lens of Jesus over time. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So he's just punctuating the importance of saying in step with the Spirit. It's not a one-time event. It's, hey, sometime <clears throat> the Spirit speeds up, sometimes the Spirit slows down. Sometimes the Spirit stops and says, be still. And so you've got to be so in tune and in step with the Spirit and you recognize His leading in your life that when He says go, you run. When He says slow down, you slow down. When He says stop, you stop. So I, I grew up, all of my closest friends have always been, you know, 6'2 and above. I mean, they've always been bigger than me. I mean, that's not a huge accomplishment, but, um, but, but so I've always just walked fast. I've always walked fast. I call it walking with purpose. Yvonne would respectfully disagree. And, uh, and so I'm just always moving fast. And so when we walk together, I have a speed and she has a speed. And so I tend to always feel this, okay, I'll slow down. And I'm like, I feel like I'm just like almost crawling sometimes, you know, because I'm like, oh, can we just speed up, you know? But I'm in a hurry for no particular reason. I'm just in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. Got to go. Got to go. Hey, we got to go. We got to get there first. We got to get there fast. Why? I don't know. Let's just go. Got to go. Got to go. And I have to be reminded all the time that I honor her by slowing down. I honor her by walking at her pace. And guys, the struggle is real. It's hard for me to slow down and just take a deep breath and go, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, I'm just keeping it real. We were in the Frankfurt airport on our way home, and I mean, it had been 12 days. We're both just kind of done, and uh, we got off of one flight. We're getting on another, and literally, we were getting there just in time just to walk around on the plane. So, I mean, we had a very short time frame, and, and so I'm moving, and, and then I... I She's like lagging behind. I'm like, I'm like, babe, we, we gotta go. And she's like, she's like, listen, I'm done. I'm done running. I'm like, okay, enjoy Frankfurt. 
I'm, I'm getting on this plane. Daddy's got to go home. Uh, so she's still in Frankfurt. Uh, but shut. <laughs> Dual citizenship, she should be fine. Um, the point is this. We got to stay in step with the spirit. We walk at his pace. He doesn't walk at yours. And then he says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. One of the hardest things to do is to live humbly, right? Because we're always comparing ourselves with someone or something. He's like, hey, live humbly. Live humbly and don't provoke each other. Don't provoke. Man, we get into arguments about the stupidest things in the church. Calm down. Lead from a place of love. The Spirit will curb my appetite for sin. He will curb my desire to be outspoken. He will curb my need to be right. As I walk in step with him, he shows me when to go, when to stop. Wouldn't you love to be in tune with the Spirit of God? What would that look like in your life? There's two roads. And at worst, the road, the way of the flesh and the results of the flesh look pretty unnerving. And for most of us, we go, well, I'm not going to get there. I would never get in that place. And the enemy says, oh, challenge accepted and he will just slowly take you down the path if you are unsubmitted in a daily intimate relationship with the spirit of the living God you will be on the road of the way of the flesh it's just the way it works and Jesus is like hey the invitation is come Let's walk this road together. I've got so much I want to show you. I've got so much that I want us to experience together. This is going to be a beautiful journey. But it's a journey that you and me go on together. Not me out in front of you, not you out in front of me, but we walk this together. Walking with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. That is the road. That is the life that God blesses.